Welcome to the Myofascial Health Podcast, hosted by me, Unu. Follow along as I explore the depths of John Barnes' myofascial release approach on my road to mastery. Along the way, I'll be sharing the lessons I learned as I open my myofascial release practice in Austin, Texas, so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I do. Welcome back to the Myofascial Health Podcast. Now, I am joined here today by a very special guest. He's been a physical therapist for, would you say, 63 years? Something like that. Uh, Something like that. Excellent. Uh, He has trained over 100,000 therapists. He is the father of Myofascial Release. It is the one and only John Foster Barnes. Thanks so much for hopping on this podcast. I'm glad to be here. I think I'm more the grandfather these days. Huh? <laughs> That's right, definitely. So um, I just want to say that you've had a huge influence on my life here. And I will say that I just finished taking healing seminar, which was a very impactful seminar for myself. And Uh, I got to share that with my partner, Yvette, and I met a bunch of new therapists-to-be. And one of the questions that you had asked us to remind you, which I didn't get a chance to, was to kind of get your opinion on death. You know, I think a lot of times we think about death in a negative connotation. It's a sad thing, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. You know, I'm Vietnamese, and for us in our culture, we actually don't celebrate birthdays. We celebrate the day of the death, right? As a symbolism of honor to remember those ancestors who paved the way for us today. And even in cultures like Yvette's where she's Mexican, there's Halloween coming up. And so for her, it's like Dios de los Muertos where they celebrate the day of the dead. And then I'm also a rock climber and there's a rock climber named Alex Honnold, who is a free soloist climber. That's not something that I do, but he uses death as a way to live. Can you elaborate or share any of your thoughts around death? Well, I think I, we can get back into more detail about channel three, but I really think that channel three is a way of describing our essence. And I think our essence lives for an eternity. So that we, you're right, our society is afraid of death, and uh, we live our, our life in fear of that. We make a lot of our wrong decisions because of our fear of death. When somebody unwinds, they go into still points or freeze responses. What I've seen over the years is that I think the still point is the death space, and so that the more we unwind, the more we get used to the death space, we lose our fear of death. We realize what absolutely incredible place it is and when we lose our fear of death, we lose our fear of life. And we can start to live more fully. A lot of older cultures train people to die. And there's a very good book uh, called the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And in there, they talk about how they train people to pass on and meet their demons. The, uh, they talk about something called the bardo. I think the bardo is our energetic fear field that holds so many of our unresolved emotions, traumas, some of the horrible pain and fear that a lot of us have had to go through. So um, in Christian terminology, I think that's purgatory. No matter what you call it, I think that it's something that pervades everything. And although you don't have to look forward to it, I think it's a transition 
It's an adventure into another space. So unwinding has a lot of uh, positive ramifications, uh, reducing pain, eliminating fear, resolving a lot of problems, keep circling back to us because you never really fully get in touch with the feelings associated with it. So I think the more we, I just recently had two near-death experiences and um, they certainly uh, clarified and, and emphasized the importance of the principle I've been teaching for quite a long time. So it was a good experience, even though I didn't look, didn't really want to go through it, you know. So anyway, does that help you? It definitely does. You bring up a, a, a few things I just want to catch up our listeners on. Um, John mentioned Channel 3, and if you're in the Channel 3 or in the myofascial release spaces, John frequently talks about Channel 5 and Channel 3. And in a nutshell, Channel 5 is more of your linear your critical, your impulsive side, whereas channel three is your loving, your creative, and your more intuitive side. And it even goes beyond that in terms of, I sometimes think of channel three as your parasympathetic nervous system, like your rest and digest, or channel five being your sympathetic nervous system, like your fight or flight. And so when we're in channel three, that is the childlike essence in which we try to remember as MFR therapists. And another thing that John had mentioned were still points. Now, something that can happen when you're doing myofascial release is someone can unwind. And it's this un involuntary movement that helps you get to positions of past traumas. And whenever you get into these positions, sometimes you'll get through what's called a still point, which you're saying is kind of a window to this dead space. And in this still point, it allows you to facilitate and go through your healing process, which a lot of times we've suppressed or uh, tried to avoid. So that was beautifully put. Uh, another thing you had mentioned was about pain. Can you elaborate how pain is not just something that hurts, but is something beyond uh, the physical body? Well, pain is also a warning sign for us to protect us since the trauma wasn't fully resolved or recently after trauma. The problem with medication is, and it is necessary at times, but it anesthetizes us. So that warning is not there. And too many people while they're under medication are re-traumatizing themselves constantly because they don't have that feedback. Uh, are you saying pain is uh, coming from another life or another dimension? Is that what you're saying? So I'll share my experience. I became a physical therapist because I tore my ACL in my left knee four times. And just like you, traditional therapy and healthcare failed me. You know, I got surgery. I went through physical therapy, stayed not, I didn't play sports for a year, rehab, did everything I was supposed to, and it retore. And so finally, on the last time um and god bless my parents my mom being there for me to to take care of me and then my dad having the insurance where i could actually have those surgeries but when i tore it the third time i said hey this isn't working i need to change everything right so i got a new physical therapist and a new surgeon and through going through this process i recognized wow what we what we are taught in school um, I come to later find out, but I did everything right. Uh, I listened to the doctor and the physical therapist, and my left knee was stronger than my right knee. 
However, it kept re-tearing. And so no one could give me an answer as to why that was happening. Now, you know, there's that one side where you could say, hey, you know, I had to go through all these experiences and I missed out. But for me, it paved the path for me to eventually become a physical therapist. And those experiences helped me empathize and be very compassionate with those patients that I have the pleasure and honor of serving. And so what I'm saying for me is like, pain can also be seen as a guide. You know, I think when you're going on the wrong path, your body is going to let you know, like, hey, buddy, you're not going down the right path. If you keep doing these things, it's going to get worse and worse. And so I was just curious what your insights were on that subject, because I think you share a very similar journey. Right. Well, I think that kind of protective pain is actually giving you guidance. And it probably comes from channel three. Uh, channel five has a lot of fear involved with it. That's certainly associated with it too. But channel three is there to help us on all different levels. Our channel three is very wise. And it's there to protect us at all times. The problem is, as you found out, most, many of us have, that channel five becomes overactive. And so we make a lot of our decisions out of fear. As you mentioned earlier, it's our critical, judgmental, nasty side. And it, it dominates most people's life. So the more we can get treated with myofascial release, the more we treat ourselves, which is very important, uh, the more we clear up. And now we're being guided more from compassion and love and incredible wisdom. And we use Channel 5, our intellectual linear side, as you said, uh, for the wonderful tool that it is. But it's a servo mechanism. And we've let the servo mechanism run the show. It's not good. And that's, and unfortunately, it's our whole society, our whole education. So, you know, our whole education was logical and linear. And uh, we come to find out, with the myofascial release in particular, that our body is neither logical nor linear. So we were giving a wrong roadmap to reality and everybody's going down that road and it's a blind alley. Absolutely. I think something that you tell us or teach about is no matter how far down the wrong road you've gone, you can always turn around. And I happened to go down the wrong road a pretty good length of ways, but I'm finally in channel three. I am an advocate for myofascial release now. Um, but those experiences, I don't regret them. I know that they helped shape who I am and the person that I will continue to become. Now, you are the founder of myofascial release. Can you tell the story of how you came upon this work? Well, I was a, uh, when I was a teenager, I was an athlete. And I uh, skied, I swam, drove motorcycles, I was involved in com com competitive karate and competitive weightlifting. And one day I went down to the gym to work out. And there's nobody there to spot me. And I was doing squats with somewhere over 300 pounds. And I got to the point where I couldn't get up again. So I'd been a gymnast when I was younger. So I thought, well, I'll just do a back roll to get out of this. Forgetting that when you have a 300-pound bar in your hands, it didn't let go. So I crashed onto the ground with tremendous force. I ruptured the disc at 05. I tore a lot of the ligaments in the lumbosacral area. I lay there totally stunned. I was numb from the waist down. And before I go any further, this is one of the primary principles I teach with my fascia release, but I didn't have words for it back then. So we have an energy body, which we'll talk about as time goes on. It leaves our body when we're severely traumatized. 
to help us get through the ordeal. And in some instances, it saves our life. So I was numb from the waist down. In that instant, everything I loved, competition, emotion was taken from me. And then as a numbness wore off, the pain began. It was horrible. I actually had to crawl out of the gym. I, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't so funny then. That changed my life. And I went to every form of therapy possible. Such a frustrating experience because nothing but temporary results. Nobody wanted to get better more than I did. So I was invited up to a ski house. A friend of mine was a radiologist. He saw how much pain I was in. I couldn't ski, so he uh, suggested an orthopedic surgeon. So I went and he, they decided that I should have a spinal fusion instead of a laminectomy because I was an athlete. And uh, I had the surgery, and it helped, but it's, I still was hurting afterwards. I'll never forget after the surgery, I think they overdosed me in anesthesia too. It took me a long time to come out of it. This is many years ago. I remember the orthopedic surgeon walking in and saying, oh, you did good. It's great. It was total success. Refuse you. So just never flex or extend your spine again and walks out. If I could have walked, I would have ran after this. Yeah, anyway, you know. Sure. He should have told me that before the surgery. But anyway, uh, things weren't getting better. They, they got better. It was not as intense. The pain wasn't. Out of frustration, I would lay on my living room floor and uh, start to push into the areas that hurt. And I found a lot of areas in my body that felt hard and very, very painful. I was still very strong, so I tried to bull my way through, and that wasn't working too well. But my intuitive voice started to click in for me. I've been uh, very intuitive as a boy, just like most of us. And then school kind of beats it out of you. And my intuitive voice started to whisper to me to ease up, be lighter. Then it started to tell me to slow down, take more time. So I started to listen. And then one day, uh, it told me to put my hand on my sacrum and push my sacrum down. I did that. And all of a sudden, the pain started to intensify. It became very electric. I was getting scared. I was about to injure myself. I was about to take my hand off. And my intuitive voice said, wait until it releases. I had never heard that word release in that context before. I waited, and all of a sudden, it was like a lightning bolt of pain roared through me. I heard myself scream. I was having an out-of-body experience. I was looking down at my body, arching, screaming. And as I looked back, I realized I'd hit a position in space of past trauma, which is another key to MFR. My pain went down dramatically immediately afterwards. Uh, my patient started to unwind spontaneously without me knowing what the hell was going on. I was a very logical person. I mean, it was pretty weird when it first started, you know. But it helped people so much, I couldn't stop it, you know. I had the, I asked to speak to TMJ specialists at the Osteopathic College. So I had access to their library. And I looked up the, the sensations I was having while I was treating myself were beyond the origin assertion of muscles. So I started to realize that maybe this had something to do with the fascial system. So I went to the library and looked up what the osteopaths knew about the fashion. The founder of osteopathy, uh, Dr. Andrew Still, had some really incredible ideas and concepts about the fascial system. So I found a stack of information on the fashion library about that high. And on top of that stack of information was a pile of dust about that high. <laughs> <laughs> After decades. 
But anyway, it, it started to illuminate the importance of the fascial system, especially through my direct experience. So that's how it sort of started. So would you say that you started or started developing myofascial release before you were a physical therapist? Or was this something after you kind of jumped from when you started and then going to the doctor of osteopathy? It started after my surgery as I was a physical therapist. Got it. Yeah, physical therapy, you know, when I graduated from PT, we, did, we learned massage in PT school back then too. But every prescription was hot packs, ultrasound, massage. Hot packs, ultrasound, and so it was the same damn thing all the time. But it was getting better. It deceives a lot of people because they feel better afterwards for a while, but it never seems to last. That's the frustrating part. Yeah, I remember hearing that you used to call physical therapy parking lot therapy because your symptoms would return by the time you got back into the parking lot, which when <laughs> I first heard that, I didn't get offended because I lived through my experience of this isn't doing anything, you know, and I, it pains me to, to hear that that's what you were taught in physical therapy school. And here I am, uh, I graduated in 2015 and we're still learning the same things. It's so frustrating to know that our profession isn't progressing like engineering or other professions. We're just kind of stuck in these barbaric uh, ages. Now, uh, that was your experience at physical therapy school. Uh, can I ask what it was like? You know, because it seems like even though it was decades apart, you were learning similar things. What was physical therapy school like? What was physical therapy school like oh, for you? No. Well, first of all, I went to physical therapy school because as an athlete, I was interested in the mind-body concept. When I got to PT school, it, it had no clue. As you're saying, here we are over 60 years ago, and they still have no clue. You would have thought there had been some growth, you know. Uh, when I, my first day in PT school, I walked into class. There's 20 women sitting there. I'm thinking, did I get in the wrong profession? <laughs> and I had a second thought. Hmm, this may not be too bad. <laughs> then five other guys showed up. But uh, so uh, that was sort of the ratio back in those days. I enjoyed physical therapy school. Um, my teachers would get annoyed with me because I'd be the last one in the test and the first one out. Everybody, and back in those days, everybody wore a jacket and a tie and looked really nice. I'd walk in at Levi's in a plaid shirt or something. And, you know, but I got the best grades in class, so they couldn't give me a hard time. In fact, the PT school, I was told I was too smart for me a PT. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> In fact, they also told me in PT school, I didn't know much about money back then, that uh, we, you'll never, as a PT, you'll never make more than $5,000 a year. Wow. And I thought, it doesn't sound like a lot. I heard about truck drivers that drive dangerous material, make more money. And I said, well, I'll try this for a year and then I'll drive a truck if it doesn't work out, you know. My first job in a as a staff therapist in a hospital, I was making two dollars an hour. Wow. Yeah. And that, that was everybody was getting. I remember I had to work on Saturdays too. And I remember reading the paper one Saturday morning before I started. And the garbage men had just had a strike. They ended up making more money than I was as a PT. I thought something's wrong with this, you know. And then this doctor, the physiatrist that ran the PT clinic, one day comes up to me and said, do you want to do a private patient? I never heard of that. I said, what's that? 
Can we go to some, somebody's house and give them some exercise and electrical stimulation, et cetera? I said, what do you make? He said, five bucks an hour. Oh, my God. I just doubled my income. You know? Oh, cha-ching, cha-ching. Wow. <laughs> so I really took off. So, so I like PT. You know, I liked it for a while. And then, like you, this didn't seem like it helped for people as hard as you might try. So uh, I love that. And I when I learned that about you, how you got a pay bump from $2 per session to $5, I was like, I'm not complaining about what I charge because I felt like when I was first starting, I was getting underpaid and overworked. Now, it sounds like you had this opportunity to do house calls. And um, I think I read that that helped you kind of develop a rapport with patients and I think that's ultimately what drives a lot of us is it is the patient care, being able to speak with someone to help them through their pain to get to know them is one of my favorite parts about my job. Can you elaborate on how making house calls influenced your life and the trajectory of your career? Well, I actually enjoyed it. And uh, a lot of it was helping little ladies walking down with her walker and tripping on their catheter and all that stuff. <laughs> but I never been around older people much before. And I really enjoyed the interaction with them. They, they so appreciated any kind of attention, you know, and then I started to expand my private practice and my uh, house goals. And uh, you get, you get to somebody's home and the little old lady would answer the door and say, Oh, I don't know if I can have therapy now. My show's on. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you had to sit there until the show was over and all that stuff, you know. But that grew quite a bit over time. And then I was offered the job of chief therapist after I was at the first hospital for about a year. I started to uh, see a lot of people at home after hours and that type of thing, too, to supplement my income. So I, I found it very rewarding. And then I was asked to uh, help some patients in the nursing homes. I'd go over there at lunchtime and uh, got to know the older folks better too. And it was, it was really good. I like the interaction with people and, you know, they're very appreciative of just somebody listening to them and touching them. Absolutely. I think um, I had, I had a home health job before I started my own practice and it helped me see a perspective that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. And I would recommend, if you have the chance to do that, to do it. Because when you do talk to the older population and you hear the things that they talk about, and uh, because for me, you know, I was younger trying to start my career, I wanted to, you know, make a name for myself and start my own practice. But when I was speaking to these elderly uh, patients that I was working with, you see that they're they've gone past that, you know, they they've already finished their careers. And like you said, you know, they're just very appreciative of being able to speak with someone. Uh, and I remember one of my patients, you know, here I am, she had, you know, she had multiple falls. So I was trying trying to help her uh walk better, get some exercise in. And she every time I would go there, she would make me some instant ramen. You know, she's like, Oh, do you need some food? And I, of course I'd be appreciative but I'm like I'm here to help you walk don't think this is going to stop you from exercising today you know so uh the conversations to be had are very influential because you get to see that perspective and when you ask them what they regret it's not about the things that they did it's about things they never got to do and that gave me some fire to 
to light the flame under, okay, I need to take this risk. Now, I want to share with you how I got into myofascial release. So while I was working for an outpatient orthopedic job, I was getting burnt out and I happened to listen to a podcast by Aaron LeBauer and he was interviewing Phil Tavalachi. And Phil got to share his experience with myofascial release and how he had low back pain and got to a point where when he was treating patients, he recognized that his back was in worse condition than his patients. And so he decided, hey, I need to do something different. And he heard about you. And I think he did like a T for T or an intensive. And he said, while it didn't solve or fix his low back pain, it was the best that his back had felt in decades. And so while I was listening to this podcast episode, I had always had the inkling to learn more about myofascial release, but I never knew who to learn it from. And so when he shared about your method, John Barnes' myofascial release approach, I thought, hey, this is the person I'm supposed to learn it from. And I Googled it, and lo and behold, there was a seminar vacation series in Austin a month away. So I ended up asking my boss, like, hey, do you mind if I take this vacation series? I'll pay for it myself. I'll take time off without pay. And then you'll have this new technique that you can use for your facility. And to my utter surprise, he said no. And I thought, wow, I can't believe that you would deny this. But this is your clinic, your practice. You can run it however you like. And he said the main reason was because with myofascial release, it seems like most therapists treat clients and patients one-on-one. Whereas when you're working in an insurance-based clinic, they want you to treat multiple patients at the same time. And then in addition to that, he had a little, uh, he had a little judgment. He said, yeah, plus this guy kind of looks like a hippie. And for me, that's not something that discourages me from trying to learn more about you because I was like, okay, something's off, but I still felt called to do it. Now, I went to my first myofascial release seminar series and it really challenged my entire reality in terms of what does authentic healing look and feel like. And I say that because I took a bunch of seminars but I never used it. And when I was working my home health job where I was working with primarily Vietnamese speaking patients, I couldn't communicate with them with the same eloquence as I have with English. And so saying any sort of medical terminology or jargon, I just did not know how to say. But the coolest thing about myofascial release is it's beyond words. You can dialogue to help facilitate the healing process, But more often than not, you just have to be with them and be quiet. And so as I was working with patients that I couldn't speak with, they, I didn't know what to expect. I remember being super nervous because in my seminars, I would, you know, be able to facilitate an unwinding process. And here I was working on patients and nothing was happening. You know, I think I was so into it where I, you know, at the time you said we'd have to learn how to hold these holds for eight minutes, eight minutes at the barrier. And I would hold holds for 30 to 40 minutes sometimes and nothing would happen. Now I continued doing this because even though nothing was happening from my perspective, the things that they would share were, man, I feel much better, man, I'm able to do things that I wasn't able to do before. 
man, my last physical therapist, things were so painful and it didn't even help. Whereas what you're doing is very gentle and I'm getting the ability to raise my shoulders above my, sorry, my hands above my shoulders. I can drive again, which I wasn't able to do before. And so I just wanted to share that my home health experience helped me in my myofascial release journey. Now, something cool about myofascial release is seeing unwinding for the first time. And at the healing seminar that I just came from, there's a lot of new therapists or even non-therapists. You know, this is a seminar that was designed for, for everybody, right? You don't have to have a license to put your hands on people to take the seminar. And I got to see and remember what people's reactions were to the first time they saw someone unwind, which it can be a very jarring image. Now, when you talk about developing it, what was your first experience of seeing an unwinding process and how did you feel and think about it? Well, you're right, it rattles everybody's cage. Early in my career, some of my colleagues wanted me not to teach that because it would turn some people off. I said, you're right, it's gonna turn a lot of people on. And I said that we need our reality broken. What I've found is our model reality basically is terribly flawed and incomplete. And uh, I had a patient that, uh, a woman maybe in her 40s, and uh, she had had horrible TMJ problems, inability to open her mouth more, just a tiny bit, horrible headaches, neck and back pain. She had traveled all over to some of the world's leading ex experts and unfortunately was getting worse and worse. So one day I was doing a cross-chain release on her back and she started to move. And I had recognized that because that's what had happened to me. But then it got beyond anything I'd experienced before. And at one point she exploded off the table. I ended up catching her upside down with my arms. And she started to slowly glide down my body. And she started to scream. And I had a PT, you don't usually, that doesn't usually happen, you know. I said, what's the matter? And she said, I feel like I'm being born. Now, I was a PT, that wasn't my world, you know. I said, what do you mean? She said, I can taste vaginal fluid. Oh, boy. <laughs> I got a nut on my hands here, you know. She kept Continue to slide down my body. Then she was under the treatment table, flailing all over the place, hitting the wall, making a lot of noise. One of my assistants peeked in because of all the noise. I didn't know what to do. I just said, go home, go home. So we kept flailing around the floor for a while. Eventually, she was done. We're both sitting there totally disheveled and sweaty. And I'm looking at this woman. I haven't opened her mouth much more than that for years. Started open and open. It was so far, I thought she was going to swallow her own damn head. You know? <laughs> I so I was pretty upset going home. I didn't know what had happened. And uh, I could see the police coming next morning, the lawyers and all that. Came in the office the next morning. My secretary said, so-and-so called. I said, yeah, I figured she would. So I called her. She said, John... I just wanted to thank you. I haven't felt so good in 15 years. She said, I ate breakfast for the first time today. And she said, you know, I didn't know about my birth. So I called my mother and asked her uh, if uh, 
She remembers anything about my birth. She said, oh, yes. You had a very difficult delivery. Part of the, when she was laying down my uh, body, I forgot to mention, too. When she screamed again, I said, what's the matter? She said, it feels like my right arm's being dislocated. So when she talked to her mother, she said, you're very difficult delivery, and you dislocated your right arm. So it took off from there because I saw the dramatic change in her. You never quite get used to it because it, from a traditional point of view, it's craziness, you know? But the results are not crazy. It's nature's way. It never injures. That's the important thing, too. It does take us back into some of the past traumas we've had, some of the horrible pain we felt, some of the fear that came up. But that's tissue memory. That's an important part of this, but it has to do with the mind. Healthcare ignored the mind. So um, it's, I guess I gained confidence in knowing that this was a safe procedure. It's just, without me telling people, it just started to happen more and more. And the more confidence I gained, the better the better results were. I'm glad that you shared that because I think when I think of your story and you you being the, the grandfather of myofascial release, it seems like you've been doing this your whole life. And so it's very comforting to know that there was a point where this was new to you. And it's not like you're any different than any of us. It's just that you've been doing this for much longer. Um, right. on, on that note, you know, have you always been someone who's been able to express your emotions freely? No, I was pretty tough most of my life up until that point. My mother was, I had a wonderful mother, uh, but there wasn't a lot of emotion in our household at all. And uh, so it wasn't until I started treating with my fascia release, not just in winding, but structural work also. I could feel their feelings. I could see them trembling and all this going on for them and it would affect me too there's a number of times when i would be driving home and start to break down crying a couple of times i had to pull off the road and just sob to get it out of my system but then i lost my fear of emotions too because i realized it's a natural thing even though our program says don't do it because i felt so much better afterwards you know so that's the thing I find with a lot of therapists when they first get into this, they're deathly afraid of it. Somebody might get emotional. And I say, it's a big deal. Have you ever heard anybody ever getting injured by emotion? You feel better, you know? It's just, um, you know, one of the examples I give in unwinding is it's like we're, uh, in our society, we're like volcanoes. We're told never, never to explode. So with unwinding, you will explode. And there'll be a lot of chaos and trembling, but that's healing. And after the ex explosion, there'll be peace in the valley. With traditional therapy, there's no peace in the valley. Biofascial release gives us hope, and that's really important. Because most of the people you see and I see in all therapists I'm training, they've lost hope because all the experts are telling them there's nothing on the chest, there's nothing wrong with you, all that stuff. And finally, they have hope. And that, that helps is part of the whole a huge part of the whole healing process. Hope is definitely something you never want to stifle. I think as a human being, you're trying to connect with somebody. And I think the worst thing you could ever tell a patient who is suffering from pain is, hey, it's all in your head. You know, there's nothing showing up on the imaging. Like, this is just all in your head. And that would drive anybody insane. 
And so I think as a therapist, we just connect as human beings and the genuine care and compassion you have for somebody definitely allows you to resonate. And then hopefully as myofascial release therapists and those who aren't in this world will start to learn is that, hey, our paradigm is shifting, right? The things that we've learned have been done on research from dead people. So that is not going to really align when we're working with actual human beings, living human beings. Now, something that you had mentioned was something about the energy body. And I think that's very interesting because in physical therapy school, a lot of times we're not even talking about energy. Can you speak more to the energetic body or the, the different sensations that coincide with myofascial release and what we're doing to it? Well, we can only differentiate the energy body from what we call the physical body with words. The physical body is also energy. It's just a denser, different vibration from that. The energy body is for centuries has been called our life force, prana, ki, chi, um, on and on and on. It's what activates us and stimulates every cell of our body. And of course, healthcare ignored that. Like you said, all the research has been done on dead people. And as you know, dead people are brittle and dead people have no consciousness. And that's the model of reality we learned, you know. And then all the techniques we learned in PT school or other professions is based on that flawed, flawed model of reality. So that that's why also the ground substance of the fascial system are completely ignored. And so it's the energy also flows through the fluid of our body, which is the ground substance. When you go through trauma and that becomes more and more viscous, as you know, it turns into crushing pressure eventually, up to approximately 2,000 pounds per square inch, and it blocks the energy flow. Another word for energy is consciousness. When the work of Dr. Penrose and Dr. Stuart Hammerhoff, they're two of the leading experts on consciousness, Basically, consciousness is photons flowing through the ground substance of the fascist system. And when you get this crushing pressure, consciousness is blocked, and then we get into trouble, and we get into disease. If you separate the word dis-ease, lack of ease, what the ancients were talking about was the blockage of energy and consciousness, so our body cannot function in a harmonious way. I completely agree with that. Now, uh... Something that is interesting about your journey, because with myofascial release, I feel like we live in a world where we are taught how to eat soup with a fork, but myofascial release and alternative therapies teach you how to use a spoon. And then myofascial release specifically, I think is a soup spoon. But when you're eating soup with a spoon and everybody else around you is eating soup with a fork, and everyone is saying, hey, this is just the way we've always been doing it. And you're sitting there with the spoon being like, yo, this is way better. This is helping people and it's getting permanent results and people are raving about it. But because everyone gets taught to eat soup with a fork, so to speak, how did you go about overcoming those obstacles of recognizing what you're doing was authentic healing, but the environment around you was saying, hey, this is the way that it's been done and we're going to continue doing it this way. Did you ever have to overcome any criticisms or judgments like that? Only for 50 years. <laughs> oh, God. 
probably right now we're being criticized. And I don't care. We're helping people in a significant way. And most of the therapists, some trainer, are highly successful therapists. Um, the, the resistance has been enormous. Um, when I first started, I didn't quite understand it because, I, what are they, like you said, what are they upset about? We're helping people. We're not injuring it and never injuring anybody. In 60, over 60 years of my career, I've never injured one person, nor have the therapists that I've trained. Ch Channel 5, you mentioned the linear logical side. It hates anything different. It, it, it's, it, I think it's life-threatening to it in some deep level. So it basically will criticize, ridicule, or attack you if you dare to do something different. So a lot of the therapists out there that may be listening to this have been through that. And it's not pleasant, and it's strange, but that's the way of the world. If my fascia leads in your heart, you believe in it, never give up. Don't let that back you off. I have never put, I've never lost one patient. All they do is send 10 of their friends who send 10 of their friends, that type of thing. So the criticism is absolutely unbelievable. Um, it, the results of patients were so profound, I couldn't po possibly give it up. I've run into a lot of therapists, as you know, and somebody will be somebody from maybe Nebraska or something like that. They can say, oh, gee, I have nobody to talk to about this. Well, man, 50 years ago, I couldn't talk to anybody about this, for God's sake, you know? So I I share your same story where, you know, when I first came into Mild Fascia Release, I was kind of alone, uh, even though you were well, very welcoming. And I still remember those first seminars where you were very patient with me. You know, I think I would ask a ton of questions and you would be very patient, even though I was very, very skeptical. So I want to thank you for that. And I also want to apologize for anyone listening because now there's a three question limit in seminars. I don't know if it's because I was asking a bunch of questions, but I'll take the blame for that. It's fine. Um, but I will say that you're very patient with me during my process. And I felt kind of alone and feeling like, oh, I got this secret that I know is going to help people. But the environment and the friends that I was around were kind of putting it down, saying like, it seems like the wool's being pulled over your eyes. It seems like this guy is going to, you know, scam you kind of thing. But when I go through, when I went through the seminar, the things that I saw and felt could not be denied. And for me, I recognize, hey, like you said, not everyone is going to jive with it. You know, something that you had written in your book was when you're able to accomplish something that others haven't been able to do, they resent you for it. And I, I don't really understand that. I, I kind of find that confusing. You know, when, when I hear that, like, somebody's able to do something, it inspires me. It lets me know, hey, it can be done. And there's breadcrumbs. But I think some people have a an ego about it, or maybe it, it reminds them that they're not doing the right things, or they've just succumbed to the fear and don't want to take risks. And so when I read about how you've overcome these, these challenges or these criticisms, even coming from your staff, even coming from the people that were right close with you, you just didn't care. But did you have to let any of those relationships go? Well, let me back off just a little bit. Now, uh, the three question limit is nothing to do with you. Okay. <laughs> it's the linear types that I constantly ask linear questions. You just don't get what I'm trying to talk about. And they seem to forget there's a hundred other people in the room or whatever, you know. So you have to, but that, that doesn't stop them. 
a couple of seminars ago, I, we went into that. Within half an hour, somebody asked 10 questions. We were really offended. I asked them to ease up a bit, you know. You're very bright. I actually enjoyed your questions. I knew you were skeptical. And I found if I can really be patient, the skeptical ones will turn around. But you're exceptionally bright and creative. You made me think. I actually enjoyed your questions. And uh, it, it and you got better and better as time went on. So I'm, I'm glad I was patient with you because you're exceptional. But uh, some of the questions are Aunt Sally questions, as you know. That's people want a formula, you know. So that's why we don't allow uh, 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 on, on MFR Insight. And, uh, we don't allow people to give treatment advice because if we don't see them or touch them, we can't give them. It's it's just, it's, it's useless, you know. People Channel Five wants formulas. It's, you, know, you don't have to think that way. The problem is the formula doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And the, you've heard me say this before too that we have over eight billion people in our world today. There's eight billion different fascial strain patterns, totally unique to that person. So the art of my fascial release is feeling their restricted pattern and applying the proper principles to it, and it also requires a therapist who's centered. Most therapists, they take a test and that's it. Well, with my fascial release, the learning never ends. We just deepen and deepen ourselves. It's a vastly fascinating journey. The, the patient appreciates it. They feel safe with somebody that's centered. When you're in channel five, they feel the fear of the therapist's body and it shuts them down. So the principles are vitally important, but it's also applied by somebody that's centered and feeling their pattern and treat them as an individual. Anyway, your questions were great. And I appreciate that. And I do remember uh, you had asked me, you let me through, and there was a time when uh, you'd take pictures and sign things. And I remember uh, you asked me, like, you know, are you going to continue this work? And I was like, I'm not sure. I'm very skeptical. But I let you know that it's a good thing to be skeptical, because if this is true, which it is, I have now become your biggest supporter. And I am now helping others find this path if they if it resonates with them. And so I just, again, want to appreciate and, and thank you for being patient with that skeptical kid. And I'm still going to have that. You know, I think the fifth agreement that uh, that you've recommended, which is a book, is be skeptical, but learn to listen, you know, and listening is listening to understand, not listening to respond. And so I was very open to what you were saying, because I was like, yo, if this is this is the best thing since sliced bread or a sham. I need to figure it out. And so I need to make sure that I give it an open and honest mind and I can't help but smile when I think back to my journey. Now, the question that I asked that I, I want to for you to be able to share some insights on is how do you overcome the criticism even when it's coming from the people closest with you? You know, I think when I read a little bit about your life, it was that you wanted people were asking you to do seminars and even when people are asking you and you decide to do it even your staff criticized you about doing that and so did you ever have any limiting beliefs or were you standing in your own confidence and knowing hey i already know what this is going to be like no matter what anyone says well i've been confident my whole life and uh not cocky but just yeah believe in myself I was an only child, and uh, my mother was very wise. I had, I had a great mother, and my father died when I was three. 
And she did a very wise thing. She, whenever she talked to my father, it was always very loving. She would give me visuals. So, you know, a lot of families, you mimic the father, the brother, the sisters and all that. That's not always good. So I had an image to follow to learn how to be a man and think for myself. So even early on, I I enjoyed responsibility. I didn't. Some people are scared to death of responsibility. I actually enjoyed problem solving and responsibilities grew along with life. Um, my my mother would have parties once in a while, wanted me to be there. I just remember being six or seven, sitting in the corner, bored out of bored on my gourd, you know. And I'd be sort of listening to the conversation. All of a sudden, I hear something come out of me. Everybody turn around and look at me. You ever see that E.F. Hutton commercial? Everybody just look at you. He said, where did this kid where did this come from, this kid? you know." So I had access, I think, to Channel 3 early in my life, and it gave me great confidence. So when I went through criticism, I believed in myself. I believed in what I was doing. I could not deny what was happening to the patients. I wouldn't let anybody stop me. So I was, I was strong physically and mentally and emotionally, and uh, I really realized early on some people have to realize you have to detach from the outcome. Most people spend their life just worried about what people think about them. I, if I walk in a seminar and there's a bunch of people, I'm walking down an aisle. Somebody calls me from one side, somebody calls them to the other. I can only physically turn one way. If I turn this way, the person over here said, that's son of a bitch. <laughs> I knew he was an egomaniac. And sister and glares at me for three days, you know. Hate. Last day, they invariably come up sobbing. Can I hold you? I want to hug you. <laughs> I realize you're my father. He was definitely my father or my boyfriend beat me or something like that, you know. So you have to not worry about that, you know. There's a good book I've recommended, uh, The Four Agreements. By Miguel Ruiz. It's a wonderful book. I think all of you, if you've read it, read it again. Take nothing personally. And then detaching from the outcome is to me the key to life and the key to being a great therapist. Uh, I can tell you a story about that if you want. If we have time, we can come back to it. Yeah, go ahead and share the story. I'd love to hear it. When I first got interested in the fascial system, and I was looking at the different aspects of it. I learned the fascist system has copious amounts of melanin. It's our body superconductor. And I heard about a Dr. Frank Barr who was researching melanin. And he was part of a symposium in New York City. So I decided I'd drive up and see what he had to say. So he was a great speaker, had a lot of very interesting information. After which we started to talk, I ended up going to lunch together, having a very interesting conversation. There's other speakers on there that I hadn't heard of. One of them was Arthur Bell. He was a developer of helicopter flight. Rather incredible achievement. He's a very interesting guy. And he was talking about the trials and tribulations of developing helicopter flight. One of the things he said to me, gave me a good visual, that maybe will help people too. He said, for a helicopter to turn, it must tilt in that direction. The moment it tilts in that direction, it's lost all power to do anything but that. In other words, it's biased. So as therapists, when we go in with our protocols, we're biased. Because the patient has a mind, the subconscious picks up your intention, your bias. And as well-intentioned as you may be, it goes into resistance. 
So um, just remember when you're treating somebody, you're not centered, you're thinking too much, you're involved with performance anxiety, just take a breath and swallow and come back to your center. You'll be back into full power. Then and only then can we truly help people. And that's when they get in touch with their power. Part of the story I've told in Unwinding 2, they had a keynote speaker, an Asian man. He's very old. He's in his 90s somewhere. They had to help him up on the stage. He looks to the audience and he said, my lifelong avocation has been, he started flipping through his notes. <laughs> no, I've forgotten his lifelong avocation. <laughs> At that point, push me the hell off the stage, you know. <laughs> So anyway, um, the attachment from the outcome is critical to your whole life. Otherwise, we're miserable and Channel 5 is dominating us. I agree with that. And it's taken me a while to really live out these principles. You know, I think in the beginning, I can agree and learn from it. And I see the environment and the community and the tribe. But it takes a little bit of time for me to make that change. Now, again, you know, you're very patient and I was always curious about this work, but I'm finally at this stage in my life where I am living out the principles more fully. And I think that's made a huge difference. You know, um, the one thing that was very special is with Healing Seminar, it's designed for, well, I wouldn't know if it's designed for this, but something that can happen is you get to share this experience with somebody else. And so I got to go with my partner, Yvette. And, um, and I'll say that healing can be very messy sometimes, you know, very what? Very messy sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And where I mean by we have to detach from the outcome is because I remember when she was willing to go to healing seminar, I kind of had an, an a, a outcome attached to it. I thought, oh, this is going to be cool. She's going to be able to see me in my element, see me as a myofascial release therapist. This is going to be awesome. But it was healing seminar in which triggers were, were triggered, in which that's where you see that is the place that you need to heal. And so I'll say that on the first day, when she saw you unwinding um, or helping someone to unwind on stage, her initial visceral response was, this isn't for me. I don't want to be here. Give me the keys. And I, I definitely made the mistake because again, and I need to reread the four agreements. I took it personal. I was like, oh my gosh, how could you do this to me? You know, but I recognized after I got centered that, hey, everyone is going to have their own experience. And I need to remember what it was like to, to be here for the first time. And I remember that I got triggered and got rubbed the wrong way. And I'll say that throughout the seminar, she opened up and she stayed. And by the end of it, she actually brought it up to me and said, hey, if you want to go to women's health in February, I'd be willing to go. And so for me, it allowed us to grow together and being able to share this healing journey with your partner, I think is something very special. Now, um, you know, something that you also teach is sometimes it takes chaos to reorganize to a higher order. And I had asked you in the seminar because I had saw, you know, whether it be me and Yvette, or you and Donna, there was there is a little bit of uh, chaos which got reorganized. And I tried to ask you in the seminar, but you said, hey, this is kind of a longer term answer. 
And uh, you gave us some guidance. Obviously, we did a great exercise that we, me and Yvette continue to do, and it does help us uh, with our relationship. But can you talk about how chaos is necessary to reorganize to a higher order in the context of relationships and myofascial release? Yeah, before we do that, it, it, you triggered a visual for me. At, at part of the healing seminar, you were sitting in a row with a couple of physicians near you? Yes. One was a was a osteopathic guy. How was their response to it? They had the exact same thing. Um, they were very triggered. It was uh, jarring for them. And I remember Yvette spoke with Joe, so he's the optometrist. And they're like, what do you think about this? And they had the, I don't know if this is for me. And I remember having that same response. Jason, who was the doctor of osteopathy, he also had that same response where he's like, I don't even know if I'm going to be back for day two. So everyone that sat in our group, even though we were recommended to go from Rowena, who is an established therapist in Las Vegas, we all had that moment. And uh, except for me, because I, I'm more familiar with the work. So chaos, the reason that we hold uh, the release for over five minutes, as you know, a number of phenomena occur. So most of healthcare has been too fast. And these phenomena do not occur, which have to do with authentic healing. So that somewhere around the five minute period, piezoelectricity is developed. That's a Greek word for pressure electricity. It's one in fact that our cells have a crystalline nature and when you put pressure into a crystal, our body is a biocrystal, it generates energy, energy flow. That's then coupled with mechanotransduction, which means our mechanical pressure basically also is converted to energy flow. And the phenomenon of mechanotransduction also produces interleukin-8, which is our natural body's natural anti-inflammatory. So then we go into phase, I'm getting to your question. We get to phase three, phase transition. We go into a period where it's a chaotic period. Chaos to healthcare is a bad, bad word because healthcare is all about order and control. Problem is, this isn't working that well. So, it's systems theory. When you go into a chaotic period, system theory has shown that's the only time there's the possibility of growth and healing. We do have a mind. We can no longer ignore it in healthcare. Most absurd thing we ever learned. So as you go through that chaotic period, because we have a mind, we always reorganize at a higher level. So that's what's so important about myofascial release. And as you know, we finally move into what's called resonance. That's another word for the release. And uh, when we first touch somebody energetically and structurally, our vibratory rates are quite different. But given a sufficient amount of time, there will only be a point where we resonate and all the energy starts to become identical. And that's when the flow occurs. That's when the system rehydrates and starts to let go of the surrenders pressure on pain-sensitive structures. So in a relationship, we start out in channel five. No, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. We start in channel three, you know. And they said, everything's so nice. And they'll say, gee, He's so cute when he says that. Six months later, he says the same thing. She's trying to tear his head apart. You know? so, <laughs> turns into Channel 5, you know. So this is what's so important about myofascial relationships, and this has helped a lot of people in the healing seminar. 
You will go into chaos. You, you, you will be triggered big time. But if you allow yourself to go through it, it takes courage. You reorganize and then you start to connect from the heart level back into channel three instead of the linear uh, channel five intellectual side. So we make so many of our decisions and relationships too and people we choose in channel five, which is fear. So with channel three, it'll open up to find the right person for you. And arguments will occur, but you have to... Channel five is so desperate to be right all the time. It, that's what ruins most relationships. So with a relationship, if you can just agree to disagree once in a while, and that will create more harmony, more, more joy, and teach your partner, not you in particular, but just teach him or her to, to learn to go into channel three. And uh, the relationship will deepen. Even if it's going bad, it can be turned around most of the time. I love that. And I will say that it's been very cool to see Yvette uh, come back from healing seminar, feeling a little bit lighter, you know, being able to release some things that she hasn't been able to, to release in, it seems like her whole life. And so now when we have conversations, we can throw the MFR lingo of channel five and channel three being like, yo, is this channel five or channel three? And we recognize that we want to be more of channel three. Now, I would like to share my perspective on that because I think it's normal and actually necessary to have arguments in relationships because you're two very different people coming together. And so you're going to stand by, whether it be your views, or your upbringing, your cultures, whatnot. And it's important to stand by that because when I, whenever I meet a couple who's always like, oh, we never argue, we never argue at all, it kind of makes me think like, someone's not being vulnerable enough or someone's getting walked over. That being said, you're absolutely right. You, you don't want to be too prideful, which is channel five, where it's like, I have to be right. I have to be right. We have to do it this way. And which it's not, right? A relationship is two people coming together. And if you can, I would say a channel three thing is, what is it that we're both trying to accomplish versus this is what is right for me? which is relative, then ultimately you, for me and Yvette at least, we've been able to learn how to dance through the chaos and ultimately grow from it. You know, you definitely want to grow through the conflict and not have it just be another point of contention. Now, I will say that it was very comforting to see you and Donna because there's just a little thing, little thing in which I know that in the past you've said, and, and now it's like, oh, just agree to disagree and move on. But I saw that you said, hey, I made a mistake in which I thought, hey, you know, even John Barnes himself can learn, at, but he has to want to learn. Everybody can learn and change, but they have to be the one who wants to do that. Now, um, Mile Fasher Release has, has grown. I think you just had a great... MFR three experience um, that just finished up, you know, I couldn't help but remember my mild fascia release three experience in which I felt like everyone needs to be very present, you know, from, from walking down into the Canyon. I'm not sure if they did that this year to, I even remember sharing a tequila shot with you. I remember these moments that brought me joy versus, you know, I think I heard some people, like, Oh, it's so hot outside or this, this climb is too rigorous. You know, how is Myofascial Release 3 this year for you? It was great this year. 
Uh, we had a wonderful group. Broke records as far as attendance went too. And uh, in every seminar, there's always one or two that don't quite get it, you know. Uh, but anyway, out of 100 people, that's pretty good, you know. They were a very good group. They were very jovial. They loved the outdoor experiences. Um, it, it would, the, the vows were incredible, life-changing, wonderful, and all that. So it was good. The vows are not just three, but I used to, I wrote an article once called Words of the Danish, and uh, the vows have consistently over decades now been like 98, 97% incredible seminar. You changed my life. I really enjoyed myself. And then there's always about, I call them the three percenters. One person says it's too cold. The person said the next one said it was too hot. Somebody bitched because there wasn't any. Somebody bitched because there was, you know, that kind of stuff. Linear mind just has to do that until they finally get over it. It's like a handicap for some people. I hear that from people. So, oh, I'm very linear. I feel like saying, I'm sorry you're so handicapped, you know. <laughs> it's hard It's hard to get out of the Channel 5 mode because it's been our lifetime of programming. But it can happen. And uh, even if people come to three, they were ready to go except for these two, which is the way it is, you know. But I so, oh, like kicking the pebble stars the average. Who knows what even though they were bitching about a couple of things, who knows what's happening weeks or months later too, you know. Going back to channel five and a relationship too, it does get triggered. And if you're in channel five mode, which most people are in a relationship, uh, it's reactive. Think of the word react. So something they say or do, they react the same way over and over and over again. As you learn to move into channel three, become responsive. You have a million variations of possibilities that you're open to change instead of fighting it. So the channel three experience is the only way to go with the relationship for sure also. Beautifully stated. And, and I will say that I have felt a shift since healing seminar. I It's this weird sensation where I feel like I'm parenting people where it's like, I'm learning how to respond. I'm learning how to stay present and centered kind of like the eye of the hurricane as the chaos is kind of swirling around me. And so I can, I didn't feel this shift during the seminar, but like you said, you kick the pebble and the avalanche can come way later, you know? And so I can just say from my personal experience that it has been very profound in ways that I didn't think at least during the seminar, but I can tell that I'm handling situations very differently than I would have even just two years ago. So I just want to say thank you for doing that. Uh, and, and Yvette and I are continuing to have our, our relationship and build on it. And like you said, the uh, doctor of osteopathy and his brother, the optometrist, their relationship as brothers has improved. So it was a cool thing to be able to share with somebody, but also recognize that that wasn't the typical thing I got from the seminars. Now, um, you know, mild fascia release will continue to grow. And the way that I perceive that you are have building it is kind of like a fence, right? And so you want to abide by the principles of MFR, and that's the fence. But all of us who learn these techniques and the approach, we're kind of like vines that are growing along with it. So it's like we kind of go in different directions as long as we're abiding to the principles. 
I want to ask you, where do you see the future of myofascial release? Well, you're right. The, the principles create a framework for us. And then we have our own unique expression, like vines growing through all that, you know. So I think that we're to the point where it's going to be growing exponentially uh, in the world. It's, uh, I have a lot of wonderful instructors that are helping me out. They're pretty, very, very incredible. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. Uh, when somebody passes on, there's always this stuff. Everybody comes up with their version of it, and that bastardizes the whole thing. If you t it's a very, if you take a couple gears out of a very finely honed machine, it goes into chaos eventually too. You know, so it's really important that we stay true to the principles. We all keep furthering our ability to center ourselves and open our heart and be loving. And I think it's just going to continue to grow and grow at a very rapid rate. So. Can I ask you to put that in a channel three vision? Like, what do you envision for the future? And the reason I ask is because whenever I get to go to Sedona to take a myofascial release seminar, it is just such a deep, magical experience for me. And to the point where I'm looking forward to taking women's health in February. But I noticed that it's no longer going to be in Poco Diablo. It's going to be in a casino. So I can't help but think that the energy is going to shift a little bit. So is there <laughs> is there a vision that you could share in terms of, yeah, what that looks like to you? Well, here's a vision for you. We're going to be doing women's health next to the one-armed jacks. <laughs> <laughs> totally nude. <laughs> He reminded me there's a guy that used to take the seminars. He always sat in the front row. He's annoying as hell, totally linear, would not get off of it, you know. He went to the seminar one night to to uh, treat somebody. The, the hotel wouldn't allow it. So we got a call Sunday morning from the, one of the staff at the hotel, very upset because said one of our students is had him set a massage table up next to the breakfast bar. He's doing massaging somebody nude next to the brunch so <laughs> i could write a book just from the seminar experiences believe me i believe that i strongly believe that my fascia release will be the healthcare of the future we always will need doctors we'll need medication when appropriate we'll need surgery at times there's no doubt about it but my fascia release is something that is going to be the health care it's, it doesn't have to change that much now. It's quite complete. And um, we should be around long enough to see that, but I probably won't be, but it will be. Uh, maybe I won't die. I think I'll just hang out, you know. It's, I'm 333 years right now, so it's that guy in the Methuselah or something like that, so I was hanging out here, you know. I'm enjoying life, and uh, that's the key. If you have to as therapists, we have to learn to enjoy our life so we can help other people do the same. That's channel three. So that's going to have a, a tremendous impact on he, and mankind in general. Uh, as, as we said many times, so many of us have gotten dysfunctional messages as if we're here to suffer. And that's not true. We're here to enjoy our life and help other people do the same. Hey, I run into a lot of wealthy people. They have all the toys, cars, boats, jewelry, all that, houses. As I treat them, 
I just feel this horrible sadness pouring off of them. And I just have to think, what's the purpose of life if you're just going through the motions and channel? Channel five is an empty exist existence, basically. We're wasting our life. We weren't meant to do that. We were meant to be in channel three. So I think it's a return to the way nature originally wanted for us. And the, yes, you're going to struggle. You know, there's going to be a lot of resistance. But if we don't give up, we're going to be, we're going to do fine. There's nothing wrong with having the toys, but if you're not enjoying your life, what's the purpose? It's craziness, you know. There's an old song by Peggy Lee that says, that's it. That's all there was. And that's the Channel 5 experience. So, so the more the spread, it's going to, and it's, this hasn't got, this, this has gotten to a huge point from where I started. Remember, I was told when I first started these seminars, this is just a fad. Mm-hmm. Some fad that sort of lasted for a long time, hasn't it? But it's grown tremendously, and it's grown not from any doctor or research project, and never will, because they're still coming from reductionist theory, fragmenting things. It's going by word of mouth, opening other people's hearts, opening our heart, and it's going to take off. It is taking off, and so let's enjoy the ride. Absolutely. Um, if there's something that I can learn from you, it's if you are dreaming big enough, then what you are trying to accomplish won't be able to be done in just your lifetime. And I hope that I continue to be able to enjoy your presence and your essence. There was something I wanted to read to you because it resonated with me in terms of how you have been able to impact my life. It is Every now and then, a person with no ulterior motive and no self-interest will take pleasure in helping you to succeed, grow, and live your purpose. This person will operate in love, will seek no praise, and will want nothing in return. This person is a gift. So I just want to say thank you so much for hopping on this podcast. I very much enjoyed our conversation and hearing your insights about myofascial release. Before we head out, is there any last thing that you would like to share with my listeners? Just that I'm proud of you. And I'm proud of all the therapists I've interacted with. They're exceptional people and doing a really important work. So let's keep going. Thanks for listening to another episode of Myofascial Health. I help myofascial release therapists create beautiful websites for their MFR practices, even if they aren't tech savvy. If you're just starting your MFR practice or you're an experienced MFR practice owner, learn more about how I can help at www.myofascial.health website.